0: and the hockey season just barely started uh when we all went home of course in thanksgiving way earlier than we would usually expect um so i didn't really have a chance to talk about it then and the season was almost over when we came back and of course notre dame didn't make the ncaa tournament and then got not kicked out of the ncaa tournament but they weren't able to play because they had a COVID outbreak which is really unfortunate Uh, Obviously And then in the fall semester I kind of focused on the NHL a little bit more uh, Kind of letting Notre Dame hockey Get their uh, their feet under them But we have reached about the two-thirds mark Of the regular season, I'd say Uh, The Irish have four more series So eight more games coming up uh, they are so far off to a pretty good season with an 18-8 and eight record. Uh, they're number 11 in the country um, as of last week, and I don't know if new polls have come out yet or not. Uh, they might drop a little bit after splitting their series with uh, Minnesota last week, um, so we will see. Um, Looking at uh men's hockey poll right now, according to USCHO.com, it looks like Notre Dame is dropped to 13. I know it's, it's not like uh, football, or there are multiple polls in football, but, you know, you only see the AP poll, the college football playoff, and that ranking comes out, whereas hockey, you tend to see, like, two rankings at once. Uh, so USCHO has Notre Dame at 13, dropping two spots from 11. And... Um, The USA today also has Notre Dame at 12. So, uh, it's not a bad spot to be in by any stretch of the imagination. The Irish, of course, are fourth in the Big Ten. um, Coming off this split last weekend against minnesota uh, i actually had the chance to call a uh, friday night's game on wvfi my first hockey play-by-play experience which is something really cool to do and color experience as well i'll actually be doing that this coming friday for the first game of the owner named penn state series Um uh, which will be at 7:30, i believe so make sure to come back to wvfi to hear myself uh john bailey and michael curley on the call for that game uh should be an exciting series for the irish uh swept their first series with Penn State a couple weeks ago uh, with two big wins um, on the road, including an overtime win in the second game. Um, that will be Notre Dame's second-to-last home series of the regular season. They're on the road the next two weeks after at Wisconsin, at Michigan State, and they finish with two home games against Michigan uh, before the Big Ten tournament. And truth be told, Notre Dame hockey last year was kind of just all over the place. It was kind of really hard um, to get a gauge on them. Both, A, because, like I said, we weren't in school for a lot of the uh, season. So some of the games were able to wa- I was able to watch at home uh, over the break that were aired on NBC Sports, or NBC Sports Philadelphia. I'm from New Jersey, as I mentioned. Um, and if you listen to the last week's show, you know that since we spent basically an entire show going over everything wrong with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um... But yeah, I wasn't able to. It was harder to keep tabs on the team um, and really get a feel for them. And you're looking at their stats and their schedule. It seems like they're all over the place. They couldn't buy a win at home. It felt like last season. I think they were five eleven at one at Compton last year. They really missed the home crowd. Uh, but the Irish this year, they have a very clear identity, and that makes them an easier team to talk about. It also makes them a fun team to talk about. It's always nice when you can lean into something and you have an angle that you know uh, a team you can count on. And for Notre Dame, really, it's their defense. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country. I know they allowed five goals on Friday night, but that was an outlier. Other than that, really, they've been spectacular defensively. Um, I believe that was the only time they've allowed five goals in any game this year, and it was. They'd only allowed um, four goals before in a game three times, and um, and actually won at least one of those games. Um, So... Yeah, they were 1-2-0 and in those games. The one overtime win against Penn State was actually the one game they allowed four goals. It was a 5-4 overtime win. Uh, but this is an Irish team that's exciting this year. And I know when you see a team and you re- re- see that their strength is defense, exciting is generally not the word that comes to mind. But it's an Irish team that, while they, are re- I don't know, re- they aren't relying on their defense, actually, they are... Uh, Trying to think of the right word for it here, but their defense gives them an identity. But it's not like this is an Irish team that doesn't score. It's not like they're sitting back and winning every game two to one. They're averaging almost three and a half goals per game. They have one of the nation's best offensive threats. And you know, if you told me that Notre Dame was going to have a top scorer in the Not just the Big Ten, but really the entire country this year. I would have said, okay, it's probably going to be Landon Slaggart. And he's only fourth in the team in scoring. The takeoff that Max Ellis has had this year has been absolutely phenomenal to watch. And he got another goal in Saturday's game, which is a big 3-2 overtime win against Minnesota to earn the split in that series. Was it a fluky goal? Absolutely. But when you throw as many pucks as an ant kid does, 108 shots, which not only leads Notre Dame by over 30 shots, it leads the entire country. Uh, which I don't think Notre Dame has ever had a player do that. I know Alex Steves last year was top five or so in shots on goal. But Max Ellis, 108 shots in 25 games. So he's averaging over four shots a game. He's got 15 goals and 25 points. He's just blown by his career highs. Um, he's been a special player to watch. This is a Notre Dame team that, yeah, defense is their game, but they can score and they have some really exciting players. Like I said, I know Landon Slagerton hasn't necessarily had as much production as you would expect, especially how good he was last year with his brother Graham and Alex Steves. but he's still an exciting player to watch. Uh, Ryder Rolston had what really looked like a coming-out party, uh, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before that, and that dominant 8-2 win over Boston College. And that was a game, of course, Notre Dame didn't even have Max Ellis for, so that was a game that I think really showed that this Notre Dame team, you know, they can be a good offensive team. It's not that they can't score. Um, it's not like they're the mid-2010s Minnesota Wild who have a really good top four in defense and no you know, prominent offensive players. Although, I mean, those 2010s Wild teams, they didn't make the playoffs six straight years and won a couple series, so it's not the worst outcome by any stretch. But this is a Notre Dame team that is good defensively and fun to watch, and that's what I'm trying to get at here. You know, you get the connotation of a good defensive team is a boring team. But it's not like this is a Notre Dame team that's you know just sitting back and winning every game one to nothing or 2-1 to one with like 20 shots apiece. I mean, they're playing some really good hockey. They generally outshoot teams. Um, they only allow about 27 shots on goal per game, which is fantastic. Their penalty kill is the best in the entire country. It cannot be overstated how good this Notre Dame penalty kill has been and how important it is uh, for their success. Um I'm pull it up right here. I know it just passed Quinnipiac. Um, a couple days ago for the best in the entire country. They've killed off 92 of 99 penalties, so just under 93%. They've scored almost as many shorthanded goals, five as goals they've allowed while shorthanded, seven, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, Max Ellis, too, like I said, not only is he a great offensive player, but he's got two shorthanded goals as well, so he kills penalties as well for the Irish. He and Cam Burke both have a pair of shorthanded goals, which is really impressive stuff. Uh, for both of those two guys. And Camp Burke, someone that I think has really gone under the radar for this Notre Dame team. S- a career-high 17 points in 26 games. Phenomenal on face-offs. He's a key penalty killer for an Irish penalty kill that's right at the top of the entire country. Uh, I mean, he's been a very key player for the Irish down the middle. And after losing Alex Steves, you knew the Irish were going to need a center to step up. And also, of course, they lost Jake Pavanka uh, at the start of the season to, I believe, it was a torn Achilles, is what Jeff Jackson said. Um, I was actually on the... Getting ready for the game on Friday. I had the opportunity to sit in on the press conference uh, from Joe, Coach Jackson on last Wednesday. Um, so I believe that's what he said it was for Jake Pavanka. But I mean, he's only played in a little under half Notre Dame games this season. Um, so he's another key. He was a key center iceman that they lost. And of course, Alex Steves going pro, uh, signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Irish needed a centerman to step up behind. Um, the guy on the top line, which has actually become Graham Slager now. If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Graham Slager was on wing last year, and now he's moved to center uh, this year after Alex Steve's left. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, Max Ellis has been phenomenal. Ryder Olsen, like I said, had that hat trick in the BC game before last weekend's series against Minnesota. Uh, so that was a big, I think it was a big game for him. Uh, I think he's a guy who, you know, if he starts shooting the puck more, I think Notre Dame could really have a player in him. Of course, the son of longtime NHLer Brian Rolston. Uh, only a sophomore too, at six foot two, one eighty five. Uh, I, I think he's you know a player that's poised to grow for Notre Dame. He only had one goal last year in twenty eight games on fifty one shots. He's taken over tw- um, exactly twenty more shots in three fewer games this year. And hey, what do you know? He has nine goals now. It's not just that he's shooting, getting more shots; it's that he's of course getting better looks and he's gotten stronger as a player as well. Uh, but he's been someone who's, I think a key, uh, I'm going to say death piece because I think he's on the second line for the Irish right now, but he's not necessarily the biggest marquee name you think of when you think of Notre Dame hockey and even their forward group. Uh, but he's second on the team and scoring with 21 points. He's third with nine goals. Uh, he, he's a key player for the Irish. He also leads the team or is tied for the team lead with three power play goals with Trevor Janicki. Um, who's stepped up solidly on the slugger line? Like I said, Landon and Graham as well haven't had the offensive years that you would necessarily expect for them, especially after those guys were two and three and scoring on the team last year. Uh, but it's not like that line with those two and Trevor Janneke has been bad by any stretch. I mean, Trevor Janneke is second on the team with 10 goals. You know, he's had a very solid season, you know, getting him to play on what I would usually say is designated as Notre Dame's top line. I don't get to see. There's no way to track ice time, unfortunately, so you know, maybe some nights Ellis' line gets a little bit more ice time uh, with Lansdale and Pavanka, um, but I can't be 100% certain of that. These guys are usually listed as the top line. I think they weren't on Friday, but, I mean, the Slaggarts, of course, You know, with how dominant they were last season, they're at least at the start of the year they were seen as the top line for the Irish. Um, Landon's got 19 points in 26 games this year. Graham has 15 Um so yeah, I mean, that line has been solid for them, and I get the hesitation from Jeff Jackson uh, to not put necessarily put Max Ellis on the first line and stack that line. I actually did write in the Observer a couple weeks ago that Notre Dame should consider doing that, and I still would say stand by just at least giving that combination a try. I get the concerns why the two reasons why you wouldn't want to put Max Ellis on that line number one he's the smallest player on Notre Dame's team so you worry about him you know being out there for 20 plus minutes a game facing other teams top defensive pairs and their checking lines that he could get worn down physically and that you know doing that would also if he gets worn down physically then the Slaggers are also kind of neutralized and that goes in Hand in hand with the other big concern, which is that obviously, if you put Max Ellis on the top line, now your depth is a little bit shakier. Now maybe Ryder Rolston if he emerges as a more dependable scorer uh, that could you know address some of that concern. Uh, like I said, Cam Burke's been pretty good for the Irish this year. Um, Trevor Janicki is someone who, of course, has 10 goals. Um, it's, it feels like Notre Dame is one forward away uh, from being a really, really good team. Uh, you look at some of the other top teams in the country, I mean, I hate to say, but Michigan, I mean, their team is absolutely loaded with you know high draft picks in the NHL, first round picks, uh, guys who have all kinds of talent. It Just feels like Notre Dame needs one of those guys. They don't need five or six, you know, top ten picks like teams like Michigan have necessarily. They could just use one more of those guys, one more player. You know, it feels like Max Ellis's you know breakout season has kind of you know replaced the production that uh, Alex Steve's uh, left by, that with the void that was left by Alex Steve's leaving. It just feels like Notre Dame needed. A replacement for uh, Steve's production, and someone to step up. And know, maybe and I know Ryder Rolston is, you know, doing his best to you know fill that void as well. It just feels like there may be one forward short. And unfortunately, this isn't the NHL where they Notre Dame could just trade a defenseman or some prospects or draft picks, and you know get you know big four at the deadline. The Claude Giroux of college hockey, uh, whoever the best forward is, you know maybe the Joe Pavelski of college hockey of Dallas. The Dallas Stars wind up selling at the trade deadline. Um, unfortunately, that isn't an option for Notre Dame. It would be fun if it was, but it isn't. You know, maybe that's a good thing. You know, in terms of you know, if they were to trade a defenseman, which I, they can't do, because the Notre Dame defense, like I said, has been outstanding. Uh, Spencer Stastny, of course, leading the way offensively with 20 points. Nick Lieberman. <laughs> Is not far behind with 18. Now, points obviously aren't the end all be all for a defenseman, uh, but I mean, those two, you look at them play, Stasny especially, they're such smooth skaters, and you know, part of the reason they get points, it's not like you're just getting lucky with, you know, hard shots from the point. It's so that they're jumping up in plays, you know, they're getting in on the rush, uh, they're very active defensemen, uh, mobile players, you know, they fit that. Uh, play style that archetype you know the modern defenseman you know this isn't the any the way hockey was played. you know 20 years ago when defensemen were largely expected to sit back with the exception of the one like designated power play quarterback and you know anyone under six foot you know really wasn't really seen as a viable option at defense now you have tons of guys who can skate really well and move the pocket it's basically a prerequisite if you're going to be especially a top in the lineup defenseman on a good team that you've got to be able to move the puck well and you've got to be able to provide offense you know the best offense or the best defense is a good offense, and it's optimal, of course, to be spending more time in your opponent's zone than in your zone. You know, a, the you know a good defense. The way I see it, like a good defender isn't someone who you know spends a lot of time in their own zone; it's someone who's able. When another team does get set up in their zone, is able to, you know, kill their transition, their cycle, uh, as soon as possible. Because ultimately, you know, if you're a good defender, it's not just about, you know, breaking up pass after pass after pass after pass. And, you know, just surviving a shift. You want to get the puck and, you know, put the pressure on the other team. And Notre Dame has players, especially Stasny and Leverman, who can do that as well. And of course, they've got a couple of grad transfers uh, on their blue line that Jeff Jackson brought in in the offseason or that came in in the offseason as, you know, as grad transfers in um, Chase Blackman and Karashuk who have been two you know very key players for the Irish this year um, you know providing some more veteran experience in the blue line. Uh, Karashuk was all over the ice on Friday night. He was easily Notre Dame's most engaged player in that Friday game. Uh, he had at least, like, and unfortunately they don't track hits, but he had at least, you know, five, six good, solid checks that separated players from the puck and, you know, kept Notre Dame, you know, engaged in the game, I felt like, and, you know, the impact of physicality can definitely be overrated at sometimes, especially on you know those big defensive defensemen like I talked about that you know aren't as prominent in hockey, especially at the higher levels as they once were. But you know when your team like Notre Dame was playing on Friday night, they weren't playing sharp. You know, I thought their transition game was not very effective. A player like Karashuk, who, you know, throws the body a lot, can do two things. One, it keeps, you know, engaged in that game in the present moment. But two, it also lets a team know that even if you're beating us by three or four goals, that we're not going to let you walk all over us. And I think his physicality helps set the tone for Notre Dame to bounce back on Saturday. They take the early 2-0 lead. Ministers able to tie it, but Notre Dame winds up rebounding in overtime and getting the OT winner from Landon Slaggard on his own rebound. Um, and that was obviously a huge win for Notre Dame because they really could not afford to get swept last weekend. Of course, the result—you know—the overall results weren't optimal. Notre Dame began the weekend uh, three points behind Minnesota. They're now four points behind uh, Minnesota, and more importantly, you know, basically any shot they had of winning the Big Ten or you know, even getting into that—you know—upper bracket with Michigan and Ohio State uh, probably went by the wayside this past weekend. You, know, you look at the Big Ten, and there's really, I'd say, three tiers right now. You have the uh, regular season championship contenders of Michigan at 39 points and Ohio State at 37. You have the middle tier of Minnesota at 30 and Notre Dame at 26. And then you have the bottom tier, Penn State 17, Wisconsin 16, Michigan State 15. Now Notre Dame's job, especially next weekend, is to not let Penn State you know, get back into it um, and you'll keep their distance and make sure that Notre Dame is going to wind up securing a top four seed. I believe the way the Big Ten men's hockey tournament works is that it would Michigan would get a bye in the first round, and that two, three, and four would host five, six, and seven. So you know, if the season ended today, Notre Dame would be in line to play Penn State um, in the first round of the Big Ten playoffs. Uh, obviously, that could very well change because there's only two points separating uh, fifth place from uh, seventh place um, in the Big Ten standings right now. So that could very well change between now. And um, and a couple weeks from now, when the season ends in the last weekend of February, of course, Notre Dame played Penn State last year in the Big Ten tournament, and it did not go too well. Uh, but obviously, you know the rosters of both teams are very different than they were um, last year, and you know obviously Notre Dame would be able to have fans in the building this year. In fact, you know if you remember that all Big Ten tournament games last year were played uh, at Compton Family Ice Arena. Um. So yeah, I mean. Notre Dame will hopefully get to host an actual game with crowds uh, involved. Of course, if you remember, Notre Dame jumped out to be a two nothing lead in last year's their first Big Ten playoff game. And it was again Notre Dame is the four seed, Penn State is the five seed, and then Penn State just decided to score five unanswered goals, which was really just not a fun time. And they wound up winning by a final score of six to three. One of those the last Penn State goal was an empty netter. Uh, but still, not the finest showing for Notre Dame in that game. And it was weird, too, because they had just played Penn State a week ago and beat them pretty handily by a combined margin of 12 to 3. But weird things happen in hockey, uh, as we've seen so many times before. I and mean, we just saw last weekend, you know, with Notre Dame losing the first game 5 to 1 and then bouncing back the next night, winning 3 to 2. Of course, the one big difference between those two games. Um, For Notre Dame, was the starting goaltender. Of course, Friday night, Matthew Galida got the start and probably delivered his worst performance uh, as a Notre Dame goaltender, allowing three goals on six shots and then getting pulled. Ryan Bischel, I thought was excellent in relief on Friday and then had a solid performance on Saturday. Didn't face a ton of shots, but I mean, you can only stop the ones you do face. Uh, He winds up letting in two goals in that 3-2 overtime win. Um, so it was personally a solid performance for him as well. I mean, hard to play him a goaltender when they only allowed two goals, even if it was only on just over 20 shots, uh, but a big win for Bishop and big win for the Irish there. And you know, another name right now, they came into the season. It looks like Matthew Goliath was probably going to be the clear cut starter, uh, grad transfer from Cornell, all kinds of starting experience there, um, used to be one of the top goaltenders in college hockey. And he was, he's been good for in this season. I want to say he hasn't been good because he has a nine twenty two save percentage, which is outstanding. He's been nominated for the Mike Richter Award, which is outstanding. And Ryan Bischel, however, of course, has matched him in both departments. They both have a nine twenty two save percentage. They've both been nominated for the Mike Richter Award. But I mean, Goliath's performance on Friday night was concerning. And it's not like the three goals that he gave up, you know, were cross crease breakaway tap ins you know, goals that a goaltender has no chance on. The first goal was a shot off the rush that, okay, it was a nice shot. It could have been stopped. I mean, he did get a clean look at it. But, you know, okay, that goal will go in sometimes, even on really good goaltenders. Second goal was not his fault. It was a backdoor pass that went off a skate or a stick or something like that. Um, Wide open player came in from the right point and threw the puck back across, you know, Glad I had the respect of the shooter. Uh, there was really nothing you do about that goal. The third goal, however, was not very good. It was basically scored a bank shot from the goal line, the type of goal that just can't go in. And that was the hook. And like I said, I was calling the game and I was doing play by play in the first period. And the second, I saw that goal go in. I'm like, yeah, he's done. And I looked at the bench and I saw Bishop getting ready. And yeah, okay, that I you knew that was going to come up. And, of course, Bischel gets to start for the next game. I almost wondered if maybe he might not start just because he wound up basically playing the about 50 minutes or so on Friday's game. But he did play, and he played solid, and he got the win. And Ryan Bischel, folks, he's making a run at the Notre Dame starters job. Now, it's not like Bischel has been perfect in every start, of course. His last start before um, last Saturday, he allowed four goals and a loss uh, to Ohio State. Uh, that was a game, that was a weekend where Jeff Jackson gave him both those games against Ohio State. And he won the first one, 3-2, to two, and then lost the second one, 4-1. to one. Um, So, you know, that was the first time, I believe, all season... Uh, it was the second time all season that Bishop had started consecutive games, he was actually in net for both of the Michigan wins uh, back in mid-November, which is really impressive stuff for him. Um, he, of course, you know, you see in those two games as well, allowed two goals in the first game, four goals in the second game. So that tells me, you know, a goaltender like Ryan Bischel, who hasn't played a lot before this season, uh, only a handful of games in his collegiate career uh, before, you know, really becoming. Notre Dame's at least one being depending on how you see the goaltending situation this year. Yeah, he'd only played in 16 collegiate games in his first uh, two seasons. Uh, he's played in 14 games this year. He'll probably, he almost certainly will pass 16 games at some point this uh, in these last uh, was it six eight games. That's tough for Notre Dame, uh, barring injury. Yeah, no fingers crossed, knock on wood for that. But you gotta wonder about Ryan Bischel in this goaltending situation for Notre Dame is how Jeff Jackson's going to manage it. You know, there's the classic saying when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero. And that's not necessarily true for goaltenders because you do want to have a good backup goaltender, of course, in case of injury or just to give your starter some rest, especially for Notre Dame team that, you know, wants to, you know, Move up a little bit in the Big Ten, like I said, moving into the one-two hole probably out of the question at this point. But they are only four points behind Minnesota. And of course, that's why you know losing that game Friday was so important. You know, it killed their chance to jump over the Golden Gophers this weekend. So they'll need help from somebody else uh, down the stretch. But you know that help could come. Minnesota probably isn't going to win out. I don't think Notre Dame is going to win out either necessarily. Although, like I said. Their schedule isn't that hard the rest of the way. They do have, that, of course, that Michigan series, which will be a very challenging one to end the regular season. But before that, you know, they're also they play Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan State, who are the bottom three teams in the Big Ten standing. So if there's ever a time for Notre Dame to you know pick up uh, easy points, you know, and really put some pressure on a team like Minnesota. It would be over these next couple of games. The schedule is aligned very favorably for them. And it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, I said, how Jeff Jackson, you know, treats the goaltender situation for the Irish moving forward. Um, Personally, I think the fact that you have two goaltenders who are playing well means that there's just really no reason to play either goaltender necessarily in back-to-back games. Although, I mean... it's going to be interesting because it's going to show you, you know, what the philosophy is for Notre Dame right now. Are they just looking to try... If they're just looking to try to win as many games as possible on the stretch, it probably makes sense to alternate goaltenders unless Galeida, you know, really delivers another clunker and his game, you know, just completely goes away, which I don't think is a likely outcome. Uh, but if Jeff Jackson, you know, wants to figure out, all right, I want to have a clear, defined starter by the time the NCAA tournament rolls around, you know, maybe he starts giving, you know, Bish, he gives Bischel a series, or he gives Golida a full series to so try to give one of those goaltenders an opportunity to take the starter's reins by the horns, and who knows, maybe that was the plan for Goliath going into the Minnesota series, and obviously with how poorly things went on Saturday, Jackson decided to change, we probably won't know that, it probably wasn't, I mean, most of the series, you know, Goliath and Bishop split, that's what you do when you have two of the goaltenders generally, um, and that's what I would, ex- would have expected to happen last weekend. But, of course, you know, we'll never know what would have happened if Goliath had delivered a 40-save shutout uh, on Friday night. And it's not like, it's like I said, it's not like Goliath is a bad goaltender. I mean, in the previous game, he stopped 40 of 42 shots against Boston College. And I know you see an 8-2 final score and think, all oh, the goaltender for the winning team probably didn't play that big a role in the game. Goliath made some outstanding stops in that game. He had a couple of breakaway saves. You know, he was very good in that game. And that's why you know, it was really so surprising to see him come out and just not have his game on Friday night against Minnesota. I get that it happens even for the best goaltenders, but this is going to be a really interesting situation to see for the Irish going forward. If you know they're just kind of focused on moving ahead one game at a time, or if Jeff Jackson, you know, wants to have that established start, doesn't want to leave anything into doubt uh, coming into the Big Ten tournament, or you know, of course, the NCAA tournament um, in the next in March. Um, so a couple weeks from now I guess you could say because I mean we're in February now which is kind of crazy to think about Um, but yeah we'll see where Notre Dame hockey goes but like I said just to recap um, if you're just tuning in, this is Notre Dame team that you know is outstanding defensively. They have some good offensive players. It just feels like they maybe need one more offensive player, and unfortunately, you have to see. Like I said, they can't really do anything about that right now in the middle of their season, other than of course juggling the lines. Like I said, Max Ellis with the Landon and Graham Slaggart. I would just like to see that combination tried. Like I said, it may not work. You know, it may not be the, and even if it does work, it may hurt the bottom three lines enough to the point where it's not worth it. But I feel like if I was coaching Notre Dame, I would be kicking myself if the season ended with us not winning the national championship. And I didn't just try that line combination, at least for a game or two. Like I said, Justin Janicki, or Trevor Janicki, excuse me, has been good playing with the Syrians. I'm not saying that he hasn't been. I just feel like there's another level that Landon and Graham could maybe me get to offensively. And I know part of that is that their shooting percentage is much lower than it is last year. So, you know, there is some bad luck involved. And obviously those two players are more than just scorers in Notre Dame. They're penalty killers. Their leaders in the locker room. Um, so I'm not. It's not like the fact that they have more points or fewer points than they did last season means that they're you know not as effective as they were last season. You know it's that you know, transferring that effectiveness into different areas, and some of that may just be you know the reputation of the sluggers. You know they draw other teams' top lines, and that frees up more favorable matchups for Max Ellis and Ryan Rolston, those type of players, uh, Cam Burke, who's having a breakout year. Uh, it's a Notre Dame team, like I said, who's outstanding defensively, not just because they sit back in their own zone, because they have defensemen, especially like Spencer Stasny and Nick Leverman, who can move the puck well, who can join in the rush and, you know, help facilitate the offense for Notre Dame. Uh, they have quite a few players uh, who are having, you know, really outstanding seasons. I think there's a stat, it's like seven of Notre Dame's, uh, seven Notre Dame players have a career high in points this year or something like that. I'll try to find it really quick here before we move on. Um... But like I said, a lot of players for Notre Dame have taken steps forward this season. That's something really encouraging to see um, under Jeff Jackson as he you know continues his uh, lengthy tenure as head coach in Notre Dame. Uh, you know Sometimes when you have a head coach this long, you're worried about them getting complacent, and that obviously is not the case for Jeff Jackson and his staff. He continues to do phenomenal work for Notre Dame hockey, trying to get them over the hump. He's been so close at so many times in his tenure. Um, you know, looking at it here... Uh, 15, so 15 Notre Dame players have scored this year and 12 of them have 10 plus points. So that's a testament to Notre Dame's depth. Like I said, I feel like they maybe could use one more high end forward, but the depth is there for this Notre Dame team. They have guys up and down the lineup who can contribute and that's something that shouldn't be underestimated. Like I said, that might be part of the reason for keeping Max Ellis on a different line than Landon and Graham Slager, which I understand. Um, but overall, this is a really solid Notre Dame hockey team. Are they national championship contenders? I would say they're probably not in the favorite category. They're kind of in that second uh, tier um, where, you know, they're a team that, you know, is viewed that definitely could make noise in the NCAA tournament. And maybe if everything breaks their way, sure, maybe they can make a, a really big run. But they're probably a team that's in that second category of pretty darn good, um, but maybe not, you know, viewed as a favorite um, trying to think of an nhl comparable for them right now i almost wonder if maybe like nashville predators would be like a decent comparable for notre dame you know nashville is a pretty good defensive team they're top 10 of the league in goals against part of that is because they have an outstanding goaltender in uc saros um they have some you key offensive players uh they actually have some guys that are bouncing back rather than guys that are breaking out uh guys like ryan johansson and Matt shane um, another decent comparable for them might be Calgary. Uh, Calgary's second in the league in goals against right now. Whereas they also have an outstanding starting goaltender in Jacob Markstrom and a pretty good backup in Dan Vladar. Um, they may have a little bit more off dynamic offensive talent, although, I mean, I guess Johnny Gaudreau would be a pretty good comparable uh, for Max Ellis. I'm not saying that Max Ellis is going to become Johnny Gaudreau, but just, you know, small, undersized scoring winger who's one of the team's top offensive players. Um, takes a lot of shots, you know, very creative player. Um, so I would say that in that sense they're comparables. I'm not saying that Max Ellis is going to become the next Johnny Gaudreau. I'm not saying that. Do not. Although, you know, if John, Max Ellis does become the next Johnny Gaudreau, I can just, you know, clip that part out. Just leave the first part in and we'll say that I was right. And if not, then we'll just forget about this, which is fine. Um, but yeah, like I said, this is Notre Dame hockey team. Really good defensively. They've got some nice pieces up front. I'm not... certain who's going to be starting the first game of the Big Ten tournament for them. It really feels like it could go either way right now between Matthew Galeida and Ryan Bischel. But this is a Notre Dame hockey team that, you know, is definitely better than they were last season when it kind of felt like they were all over the place. They have a clear identity this season. They have some really nice players and they're definitely a team worth watching whether that's, you know, you get a chance to listen on WVFI or you get a chance to watch, um, and if some of the games are streamed on Peacock, I think most, if not all, the home games are or, of course, optimally if you get a chance to come out to Compton Family Ice Arena, the Irish are home this weekend, of course, against Penn State Um, and like I said, I'll be doing the call for Friday night's game, which is at... Uh, 7.30 p.m. Uh, They're also, of course, home on uh, Saturday at 6. And then their final home series of the regular season is the 25th and 26th of February, another Friday, Saturday, same times against Michigan. Those two games should be absolutely exciting. I'm sure the student section will probably be uh, sold out for those two games. And of course, hopefully the Irish will get to host at least one game of the Big Ten tournament. Um, I believe that it's looking like that's probably going to happen, but we'll see how the stretch run plays out. Alright, so we got a good half hour in or so I'm talking about Notre Dame hockey And like I said, uh, it's not like I'm going to Completely ignore Notre Dame hockey from now Moving on, it's something I want to talk about more Um, And so I was happy to get the opportunity To do it on this show Uh, With there not being a ton of NHL news right now Um, Like I said The first half of the regular season is really starting to wind down Looking forward to the All-Star weekend This uh, upcoming weekend uh, The All-Star game, the skills competition And all that good stuff and, of course, you know, the trade deadline usually would be on the horizon right now, but it got pushed back, of course, because of the originally scheduled Olympic break and the NH- the regular season, you know, not ending until late April, about two or three weeks later than it usually would. Um, so all that stuff, of course, taken into account. Uh, we're in a little bit of a different place than, you know, we usually would be in February 1st of an NHL season. But overall, um, uh, things are... Uh, looking good, uh, I would say, just in terms of you know what kind of, we have to look forward to for the rest of the NHL season. But first, let's look back at something that happened Tuesday night, and I alluded to this on Tuesday's show. Like I said, last week we did an all-Flyers show. I am a Flyers fan. Um, Flyers finally won a hockey game, which is exciting, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, that's certainly not a situation worth uh, spending significant time over. Um, what I do want to talk about, actually, though, is something Flyers-related. Um, and I'm pretty sure I alluded to this on Tuesday's show, congratulations to Keith Yandel on becoming the longest Ironman, the longest Ironman, the best Ironman. Hey, congratulations to Keith Yandle on becoming the NHL's ultimate Ironman. That's that's how we're going to say it. That's how I've decided on saying it. Um, in case you didn't see, on Tuesday night, Keith Yandel played in his 965th consecutive game, uh, passing a record set by Doug Jarvis, who... A former forward, I believe mo- played most of his career for the Hartford Whalers. Um, also, looks like he played for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, played 964 consecutive games. He actually played mostly for Montreal, then a couple of years in Washington, and then finished his career with a couple of years in Hartford, uh, which is now the Carolina Hurricanes, if you're not that big of a hockey history nut. Um, just, oh, he you know, wasn't the best player necessarily in terms of, you know, skill level. He only had one season with more than 40 points, but just kept playing game after game, after game, after game. Went up with 964 games played. He actually never missed a game in his entire career. He made his debut in the 1975, 1976 season with Montreal Canadiens. So he won, he's won quite a few Stanley Cups. He was there for the Habs dynasty. Uh, he's also also won a Selkie trophy with the Capitals in 1983, 84 and the Bill Masterson trophy in 86, 87 for Hartford. Um, um, like I said, he wound up playing 80 games basically nonstop for his first, you know, 10 NHL seasons or so. Then uh, a couple season with fewer games played than that. I guess maybe there was like a lockout or something that I'm not picking up on because I know the streak for Jarvis is 964 games played. Um, and it says his career total is 964 games. So I'm not certain why. I'm trying to figure out the circum. Oh, I see what it was. He was traded midseason. That's what it was. Um... Yeah, the NHL.com, when a tra- player traded midseason, they list the year twice. So that's why I got tripped up. He got traded from Washington to Hartford midseason. So that's why I got confused. Uh, but he won four Stanley Cubs. He won a Bill Masters and he won a Selke, And he played in 964 games in his career, all from start to finish without missing one. Now, Keith Yandel didn't quite do that. In fact, he'd actually played in about 100, I think it was 110 games. Um, before his Ironman streak began, which is now 966 games since he played on Saturday. Uh, On Saturday, I should say. Um, Yeah, he's at 1,076 games played right now. Uh, for his entire career mostly with the phoenix coyotes he did spend a season and a half with the new york rangers uh did spend five seasons with the florida panthers and of course was bought out last summer signed a one-year deal with the philadelphia flyers i would bargain bargain that he's probably going to get traded at the trade deadline uh, he does have a full no move clause and i know um, so any Flyers fans uh, listening to this show, they're probably screaming, you know, Keith, you really think a team's going to take on Keith Yandel? He's been horrible this season. And yes, Yandel has struggled mightily for the Flyers this season. Um, however, um, I mean, every team is looking for defensive depth. I mean, Eric Gustafson went for a seventh round pick last year, and he was more expensive and didn't really have the prestige that Yandel did. Now, obviously, being traded to contender might mean the end of his Iron Man streak um, at some point, but... You know, I think Yandel would trade that streak, especially now that he's, you know, set the all time record uh, for a shot winning the Stanley Cup, which is basically the only thing he hasn't done in his career. Um, you know he's been to two all-star games he's one of a handful of players um i tried to find the exact number but it was basically impossible but he's going to be one of only a handful of players who have played in both the eastern and western conference final he was in the 2012 western conference final with the coyotes and the 2015 eastern conference final with the new york rangers of course both years lost um in that uh, conference final series um that's the part that he's ever been in the playoffs he's never been to the stanley cup final uh, but throughout his career, you know, like I said, Keith Yandel's not had a great season this year, but it does do a disservice to the type of player he was. Because I think a lot of people have seen the fact that Yandel hasn't played his best this season and, that, and you know, kind of gone back and figured, oh, he wasn't that, wasn't ever that good, which is just really not the case. I mean, the guy was one of the league's premier offensive defensemen uh, for about a decade. I mean, starting in the 20th. Starting in the 09 10 season and going all the way through uh, the 2019 20 season, Keith Yandel has averaged at least a half a point a game in every single season. Um, within that range. So for a decade, for 11 straight seasons, the guy averaged at least half a point a game, which is pretty darn impressive as a defenseman. In fact, he set a career-high 62 points just a couple seasons ago in 2018-19 with Florida. He scored at least 50 points in a season uh, three times, or four times, actually, because he got traded mid-season again in 2014-15, and he probably would have done it a fifth time in the 2019-20 season. He put up 45 points in 69 games, so... He was on pace to get to 50 again that season, um, if the regular season actually finished normally, and we didn't have COVID hit, unfortunately. He also had four straight seasons uh, with double-digit goals, which, again, pretty impressive to do as a defenseman uh, from o nine ten 9 10 to 2012-13. Um, he was especially a key part of that Coyotes team in 2011-2012, and we'll talk more about the Coyotes lately and why that team might be the last uh, big, good playoff team that the Coyotes might have in Arizona um and then like i said he was a big trade acquisition for the rangers in 2015 i believe they gave up a first round pick uh to get him so you know he didn't come cheap that's for certain um yes here we go here is the full trade uh the rangers acquired yandel chris summers and the fourth round pick for anthony Duclair, who at the time was thought of as a very highly thought of prospect john moore was a depth defenseman a first round pick and a second round pick um it was a can get a lottery-protected 2016 first-round pick. Uh, The Rangers made the playoffs that year, so it didn't matter. Now, the two picks did turn into Dennis Jalowski and Oliver Shillington, so neither of them superstar players by any stretch will I know Shillington's had a pretty nice year up in Calgary. Uh, As the Flames, like I said, have been one of the best defensive teams in hockey. Uh, It's been a real breakout year for Shillington, who's got 19 points in 39 games. That's more points than he had in almost 100 NHL games. split between a couple of seasons before this year. So good to see him, you know, finding his stride and finding a consistent role in the NHL. Uh, But, I mean, really this entire streak for Yandel, it's incredibly impressive, period. It's especially impressive that he's a defenseman. Because defensemen, you know, they tend to get hit more. They tend to block shots a little bit more. Um, than a forward would. Like I said, Doug Jarvis was a forward. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, for to doing this as a defenseman is incredibly impressive, especially in the age of covid when, I mean, you could have a long Ironman streak, you know, completely wiped out for no fault of your own. The Flyers themselves should know that. I mean, two of their players, Claude Giroux and Ivan Provorov, lost Ironman streaks of over 300 games. Uh, Provorov never missed a game in his initial career. Played the first 403 games of his career and then missed a couple games due to COVID. Uh, so he was almost halfway to the Iron Ironman streak. And then he got, unfortunately, knocked out, again, through no fault of his own. And it's, of course, it's not that Yandel's never been sick or never been hurt um, throughout his, you know, incredibly long NHL career. It's that he's just found a way to play through all those injuries and all those illnesses and whatnot. And it's just a testament to his love of the game and his passion. Because if you don't love something as much as Keith Yandel clearly loves hockey, there's no way you could fight through, you know, all the injuries and, you know. Stuff that um, NHL player occurs. I mean, with where we are in the NHL season, basically no players at completely one hundred percent right now. Um, everyone, it seems like every, everyone, you know, especially when you get to the playoffs, is dealing with something. Um, and you know, it, it's easy to give in. Um, you know, Yandel's talked about sometimes where he's uh, suffered injuries, where he's taken a stick up high, lost some teeth. Uh, Had stitches. Uh, I know Jim Jackson, the Flyers announcer, former uh, guest on this show, mentioned on Monday's broadcast when he tied the record that there was a game earlier this season where Yandel blocked a shot and thought he wasn't going to play at the morning skate only to find a way to tough it out. Um, You know, it's really impressive stuff there from Keith Yandel. And I just want to give him a shout out. Um, I know Flyers fans, you know, probably aren't as a whole. In fact, I know they aren't too happy with Keith Yandel uh, just because he hasn't played well this season. And I do get that. And ultimately, you know, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And Yandel has not played the best this season. And if the Flyers were fully healthy, if they had Ryan Ellis the whole season, maybe Yandel would have, you know, it would have made sense to healthy scratch Yandel. Um, I don't know if the Flyers would have done it. You know, because that would have probably caused a massive uprise in the locker room. In fact, you know, we saw that play out last year with Florida. They were going to healthy scratch him at the start of the year, and then the players apparently were like, no, you can't do this. And so Yandel ended up playing in all their games last season and was able to put up 27 points in 56 games. He's got 13 and 44 with the Flyers this season. Um, so you know, he can still put up points, but he's obviously not the player he was in his prime, um, but still a decent depth player. Um, who, you know, at the very least is going to be defensive depth for a contending team. Um, like I said, it's very likely that he's going to get shipped at the deadline. And I wish him the best of luck if slash when that does happen at getting that Stanley Cup that he definitely does deserve. Um, speaking of the Coyotes, like I said, Keith Yandel, longtime Coyote, um, was drafted by the Coyotes in, I think it was 2005. Yep, fourth round pick in 2005. Was with the team until the 2014 15 season. Speaking of the Coyotes, so Elliot, Free- or actually it wasn't Elliot Freeman who reported this first. Uh, I'll see if I can find the initial op- report. Uh, but apparently the Arizona Coyotes, so if you haven't heard, they're being kicked out of their arena, Gillow River Arena um, in Glendale uh, at the end of this season because you know the city's fed up that they haven't paid their taxes consistently on time um, throughout the last handful of years or whatever. Um, there were talks about them building a new stadium, um, which kind of fell through. So apparently now the coyotes are in advanced discussions um, to play at Arizona State's arena, which only hosts 5,000 fans, which you might think you, I think you can see the problem there. that's you know a third to a fourth of the size of every other NHL arena. And I know Elliot Freeman reported, I believe this was Freeman specifically who reported it. Um, so I try to find the initial report that um the coyote that the if the coyotes were to play there they would have to build new dressing rooms or new um um like weight rooms uh because you know the nhl has the nhlpa has like specific standards and specific uh requirements uh for weight rooms and locker rooms and that sort of stuff that arizona state's facilities wouldn't meet so that would actually could actually potentially drive down capacity um all the way um Uh, To 3,200 fans, I believe was the initial report. Which I mean, granted, like it's not like the Coyotes are anywhere close to selling out games, but 3,200 fans. I I mean, I I don't see how that you know. I just don't how how can the NHL justify that without um, moving the Arizona Coyotes once and for all? By the way, uh, we'll break some news here. It seems like Tom Brady has actually retired, like for real this time. Um, So. Yes, I know this is a hockey show, but I like Tom Brady's big enough story to transcend um, uh, the hockey realm for just a tad. Um, But yeah, the Patriots themselves just tweeted an hour ago, um, and it looks like he has officially retired uh, from the NFL. So there you go, some breaking news. Um, He posted a picture on his Instagram and his Twitter apparently as well um he has officially retired after 22 seasons um congratulations damn on a great career but you know never forget super bowl 52 go birds um but yeah obviously tom brady the goat i mean in terms of nfl quarterbacks and maybe athletes ever there's only a handful of athletes skretzky um michael jordan who can you know compare even compare to tom brady but as an eagles fan i will forever cherish that super bowl victory uh, over his patriots in super bowl 52 but anyway going back to hockey here as we take a hard left turn after taking a hard right turn um from the coyotes arena situation to tom brady now i'm back to the coyotes arena situation the coyotes have been in so many rumors to move over the last handful of years and look i get that there are you know tons of fans in arizona i know that their attendance is always near the bottom but there are legitimate hockey fans in Arizona and a lot of them and if you look back at those 2012 playoffs you know you see the passion in that fan base you know the full crowds you know they did they carried over the out tradition from Winnipeg uh, I mean I've seen those highlights before and the crowd looks absolutely electric you know there's no like attendance concerns there whatsoever and look at what's happening with the Florida Panthers you know they were the brunt of attendance jokes for a long long time and now that they're good hey guess what They're getting fans, they're drawing fans into games um, now. So it's not like they never had these fans in the first place, although I'm sure that their success is drawn in new fans as well. But, you know, it's that a winning team is going to bring out fans. Um, Looking at the NHL attendance right now, the Panthers, they're still not super high. They're only... Uh, 24th in the league in terms of attendance, but that's a lot better than where they were a couple years ago. Let me tell you. And if they keep staying good, they're going to keep drawing more fans in. I'm sure they'll they'll have playoff sellouts this year, um, especially you know looking at how good of a team they are. Um, but you know, comparing where the Panthers were in the 1819 season to now, uh, the Panthers were averaging about a thousand fewer fans um, than they do the and they are this season. Um, You look at 2014-15, going back to when they were really in the doldrums. They were only averaging about 11,000. So they're averaging about 3,000 more fans this year. Meanwhile, the Coyotes' attendance has actually dropped since the 14 15 season by about 2,000 fans uh, per game. Um, So, you know, it's not that they don't have fans. It's just that the Coyotes have never provided a stable winning product uh, for those fans to get behind, which is, you know, really disheartening because I'm I mean, you know, I'm like I said, I'm a Flyers fan, and I'm you know really ups- I'm sad about the state of the team that they're probably going to miss the playoffs. You know, it looks like there's mathematically most models have them at like a 99 percent chance to miss the playoffs this year. And if they do miss, it will be just the second time in franchise history that they miss at a run where they missed the playoffs in consecutive seasons. You know, I can't imagine what it's like. You know, I was about to say I can't imagine what it's like to have my favorite team go a decade without, you know, playing in a playoff game. I actually can't imagine that because I'm also a Phillies fan. Um, but you know, at least in baseball, it's harder to make the postseason. Only ten out of thirty teams make it there, as opposed to sixteen out of thirty-two in hockey. So it's a little bit more understandable. I mean, the Phillies run isn't even the longest in all of baseball. You know, my heart goes out to you, Seattle Mariners fans. I hope we both make it back to the postseason in 2022. Um, but you know, it's not. It, it's Tough. So actually, you know, I can't emphasize with Coyotes fans. I do feel you at least a little bit. Um, obviously, it's a completely different comparable in terms of market. It's not like there's any rumors that the Phillies are going to relocate or anything or that they're going to start playing their games in like, a high school field or anything like that. Um, but, you know, all the turmoil there. I know the NHL has fought like tooth and nail um, to keep the Coyotes in that market. And you know, they've had they fought to keep other teams like the Penguins and Predators in their markets over the years and the Hurricanes and it's worked out. The Panthers as well. Um, but man, I mean they've been trying for a long time with the Coyotes. And I just wonder what and when is the when is the last straw gonna be pulled? And man, you would think it would look something a lot like this, especially with where the NHL is financially right now and all the money that they've lost, you know, due to COVID and now, you know, most Canadian teams Didn't have attendance for a handful of home games, so I know the cap was originally supposed to go up by a million dollars. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore because, like I said, Canadian teams have lost a ton of gate over uh, gate revenue over the last month or two. Um, I know attendance restrictions are starting to be lifted up there, which is good to see. Um, But you know, they lost a lot of money from the home games that we're playing. You know, the damage is done in those games. Um, So I I don't know about the Arizona Coyotes. I, I I know that the reports are that it's pretty far along in terms of this plan. Um, I I can't imagine, like, the sight of them playing in these games. And I know the Minnesota Vikings did used to play um, in the uh, University of Minnesota's football stadium for a year or two uh, while they were constructing their new stadium. But A, they had a clear plan in place for a new stadium, which the Coyotes do not. And B, the Vikings had a lot, you know, more stable position. Uh, in the city of Minnesota, the Coyotes do right now. In whatever city of Arizona they wind up going to next, Tempe maybe. Um, I know they're in Glendale right now. They used to be in Phoenix. Who knows? In this the state of Arizona, we'll say in general, it's uh, it's a, a bit of a uh, disaster to say the least. Uh, moving on now to the new NHL All Star All Star Game events. Uh, so I actually want to pull these up here. So there's two new, ve- very special, you know, Vegas-themed All-Star Game events for this season, and I want to make sure I get the details on these right. Uh, most of the um, you know traditional events, like the hardest shot, uh, are coming back. You know, the fastest skater, the goalie save streak. They're bringing back the breakaway challenge that used to be really popular uh, in like the mid 2000s, mid 2010s, early 2010s. Uh, so it's good to see that those are coming back. Uh, that event is coming back specifically, but there are two very special Vegas-themed events that I want to make sure I get the details on right. So here we go. The Discover NHL Fountain Face-Off is the first one. Eight participants will travel by boat to a rink in the fountain. Um, The... Big fountains of Balago in Vegas, of course. Um, they must successfully shoot pucks as quickly as possible into five targets placed in the water, fighting through the spray of the nearby fountains. Qualifying players move on to the head-to-head finals. One of the participants in this event will be three-time Olympic medalist Jocelyn Lamoureux-Davidson. As uh, the NHL continues its recent trend of getting women's hockey players involved in All-Star Weekend events, this is me reading an ESPN article by Greg Wachinski, uh, which is great to see. Um, and then the other new event is the NHL 21 and 22. So they're going to line players up in front of a big deck of oversized playing cards uh, that are all put on a rack. Um, the you know concept picture that they have here. It's uh, four rows with. So I count in real time. It looks like eleven cards in each row. Um, And so the odds, the idea of the game is that you, you know, it's like playing blackjack. You want to get as close to 21 as possible without going over. And the way you get, you know, points or cards is by shooting the puck at the real life's not life-sized, but the much bigger cards than you would play with in real life, of course. Both events, they do sound kind of cool. I know the first one seems a lot like the gate, like the. Shooting from the rafters, shooting from the crowd. One they did in St. Louis a couple years ago, which didn't turn out all that great. Um, I also think both events could kind of be all over the place. I can definitely see both uh, being kind of a crapshoot, um, but we'll see how they play out. The vi- um, I can't wait personally. You know, there should be at least one player who you know royally messes up the blackjack game. Um, on a slightly related note, I was on. Um, there was a video of a 76ers fan last night. It had like a inner like they got selected by like the in arena host to play blackjack go like on the jumbotron uh, and they would win like a prize pack uh, depending on how well they did um, and they got to twenty which is really good and then they hit and got like a jack or something like that it obviously busted and they got booed off. Um, and deservedly so, you know there's going to be at least one NHL player, whether intentionally or unintentionally, who winds up doing that. Um, So I can't wait to see when they announce the list of the players who are doing the events. Unfortunately, we won't be able to make predictions on those uh, since they're going to be announced, since all this is going to happen between now and next show. Uh, But I can't wait to find out who the one player is going to be that's going to royally mess everything up uh, with that Blackjack game. I'm sure it'll be wild. Um, Speaking of wild... Uh, the Minnesota Wild signed Jordan Greenway uh, to a three-year extension with a $3 million cap. I just wanted to get this one in quickly. Uh, Greenway, 13 points this year in 33 games. He's taken a little bit of a step back offensively at 32 in 56 last year with six goals and 26 assists. Big power forward for them. Um, congratulations to Jordan Greenway on the new extension. And then um, lastly, I wanted to get in here, the Trevor Teaglis for cross move, just really quick, absolutely sick. Uh, move no problem with it i'm not john Shortarella. uh it's just incredible to see zekers continues to blow all of our minds um so yeah that move was excellent to see him pull off uh so congratulations to him on the move congratulations to jordan greenway on the well-deserved new extension uh from the minnesota wild congratulations to keith yandel on his record And congratulations to Notre Dame Hockey on having a great uh, first three quarters of the regular season or so. That's going to do it for this week's episode of 5 for Freddie Irish. Thank you very much for listening to this week's show. Um, Make sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking about the NHL All-Star Weekend. We'll be recapping uh, probably the month of January. It's probably going to be a Power Rankings episode next month, or next week, excuse me. And we might have a special guest on as well. I'm not sure if it's going to be next week or in the future, but thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.